0: All right, we're going to try to f- take some time uh, with some of the Crossway Chapel pastors and uh, try to bring some, um, some thoughts to this whole disciple-making process. Um, I think acknowledgement right off the bat that I think a lot of what Dave is talking about are things that, that we all continue as churches to wrestle with. Um, what does that actually look like? Um, I think most of you know, everybody that's up here, so you have Dan Hardy with Windsor Community here. Jason, who's with Mountain View in Fort Collins. Uh, Marco Tellings with High Plains Harvest out in Alts, and then Aaron um, Santini at the Crossing. You got your followers this weekend, Aaron. That's good. Um, yeah. um, so I just kind of want to start out as I'm sure you guys are like myself processing a lot of what's, what's being shared there, and I wish we could come and say, oh, this is Everything that Dave's talking about is exactly what we're doing at Mountain View, and this is how we're, we're doing it. I just can't say that. Um, I think it's really good fodder for our hearts to be able to think through, and, and how, do we, how do we really make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? I know it's a passion of all of ours. I know it's something that we, are, um, we talk about a lot. Um, it's on all of our websites. Um, but let me start out, like, let's just be honest at the beginning of this, um, and I'm kind of going off script here for this. Um, But how would you all, like, respond to the difficulties that you sense as churches trying to be disciple-making churches that aren't just having us as pastors disciple people? Um, What does that look like to try to get people who are part of the body, who are discipling people who are part of the body, who are discipling people who are part of the body? What makes that difficult for you all in this realm? Um... Anybody want to speak into that?
1: I'll start with uh, you know when we first planted uh, six years ago, um, you know Dave was our coach and um, we clearly set out and Brian was a, a, a huge part of this and asking that question what is our what's our engine going to be and uh, we settled or I say settled we decided at the time that it would be small groups um, and we were going to do all the intentionality all the one on one the accountability everything. uh, Through small groups, and I think, in large part, it was pretty darn successful. We reached a lot of people. A lot of um, we were so Stephanie and I were so grateful about year four, four and a half, when God sent a bunch of mature Christians to be a part of the church because we had just reached so many. Uh, We were we were bringing up so many new Christians that um, we were just pushing burnout. But uh, anyway. I think we're, to be honest, I think we're at a season now where our, our, that engine has kind of started to sputter um, and starting to really look, okay, do we rejuvenate that engine? Not that we're ever going to get rid of small groups, but because um, of that, that fellowship and that community aspect, but, um, you know, but is that really, is that our, for the next five years, is that going to be our engine, or do we do we look at something different? So, I, I Honestly, have been struggling the last year or so about the lack of disciple-making
0: that's been going on yeah. in the church. Yeah. Anybody just want to give a voice to what makes that, that process of a disciple, making disciples and making disciples, like how, why it's difficult you feel like sometimes to get to that third and fourth and fifth generation?
2: So I think it starts from uh, a theological information. We know that um, God informs us through his word, and then that word then produces action. And so I think it it, it all flows with, if you look at the past hundred years, roughly, of of the church's philosophy, it's been, let's get everyone in a big group, let's do big, you know, big group stuff. One guy preaches, and then that's how disciples are made. And is that a part of discipleship? Well, yes, because we see in Jesus' ministry if we used him as the, the theological group in which to, to build our plan off of, he had the multitudes, which was thousands of people would come here and preach. And then he had the large crowds, which would be like our Sunday morning gatherings, um, in which a, a pastor will get up and he'll preach and, and, and direct ministry on a Sunday morning. It'd be the pastor, you know, the people singing, the people teaching children, the children's church. So you might have, depending on your size, you know, for us it's about 30 to 40 people doing some direct ministry, but the rest are, are not participating They're receiving it. And then you see Jesus had his 12, which gets into our small groups or our life groups. And you have more people participating in um, ministry and discipleship process. And then you have the inner three. And so if you look at Jesus' model theologically, that's how he made disciples. All of those flow into making disciples. The large group, small group, and then the little intimate groups. Well, if you look at the past 100 years, the majority of the way it's been has been through the large group. So you just have one or two main individuals doing the disciple-making, and the rest are passive. But if you do all four well, which you need to do all four, and really focus on the small group in a, and then what we call them journey groups, the three to four meeting, then you're starting to teach others who are sharpening one another. They are now participating in direct ministry of making disciples. Does that make sense? So I think as you look across the landscape, the difficulty is, as Dave said, most churches don't have a plan. Their plan is come and see on Sunday morning and not have uh, just a handful of people doing direct ministry. Hmm. And then what that does is, is again what they said, you, you send all your people, oh, you want to be a disciple, you send all your people to that individual. I think also the thing that he that said that is real well is you have to understand what the definition of a disciple is. And he hit it right on the head. How we say it at the crossing is if you ask most people... Um, and please cut me off if I have to. I'm like, Dave, I love this, so I can talk about all <laughs> stuff. Um, most people say the disciples, oh, it's a learner. Well, that's half of it, which Dave pointed out. If you look at Mark chapter 3 or Matthew 4 or Mark 2, it's, it's yes, you're a learner. You're a vertical relationship, but then it also informs your are horizontal. In Mark chapter 3, it says, he appointed uh, the disciples so that they might be with Jesus. That's the following Jesus. And he sent them out. The, the mission to hmm. be sent out. So a true disciple, the way we define it, as Dave decide, define it a little bit, is you're with Jesus, you're learning from Jesus vertically, but then you're sent out to those that do not know Jesus to be on mission. So mm-hmm. it's a two-fold. Um, and then I'll, I'll just end up with this. Is in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Dave coached me seven years ago, and that verse is in my, on my phone every day at, at 10 a.m. And, and the guys that are around know that we've been talking about that. What well, it says, you know, pray for the laborers. Most people, discipleship is hard. It's hard yeah. work. And most people don't want to be laborers. They want to be supervisors. Yeah. And so, um, but Jesus isn't looking for supervisors. He's looking for laborers. Those are going to roll up their sleeves, do a bit of the ministry of evangelism and discipleship.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like to kind of put my hands on a shovel and just kind of sit there. It's a lot more comfortable. Jason or Dan, is there any thoughts? I
2: Mark reminded me, Dave uses cross, the three Cs. We use love, live, legacy at the crossing. Same
0: thing, Mark. Sounds good. Dan or Jason, any thoughts you guys have? uh, Windsor's, what, 12, 13, 14 years old now?
3: The way I look at it, we relaunched November of 2010. (laughs) That's how old we are, yeah. Even though you guys gave birth to us in 2001. Hmm. So I don't. We don't. Uh, we don't do things uh, great, as Aaron says. We don't. Uh, we don't make uh, chicken right necessarily here at Windsor Community Church. Um, I remember a, uh, a a national leader, a friend of mine, uh, came into Windsor about five years ago and at the coffee shop, a bungalow here in Windsor, and he asked me if I make disciples. He says, "Dan, you make disciples." I said, "Well, I you know, I spend time with men. I I open the Word with them. I um, um, remind them of uh, Christ's great love for them, and and uh, that that." should compel them to love others and and all that and then uh, and he said you know this, do the guys that you are discipling make disciples and I said they really don't they really don't we had a, a one-layer church of just you know people that I met with or maybe one of the other pastors met with and um, I agree with what Aaron said and Dave said that um, that you've got to have a plan. Uh, but actually a plan's not enough uh, because we um, I'm a planner, I'm a strategy guy but if, it, if that plan is not transferable um, if it's yeah. not something that, that um, others can grab a hold of because I feel like at some level, some of you have giftedness to make disciples, right? You can sit down with somebody and you can you can discern what's going on in their heart, you can ask good questions you know where to point to in the word to to bring the healing side of God's word but it's but you're operating off of giftedness and so um, I really feel like we need to have a um, a a strategy that's reproducible yeah and um, so that's something that we have thought a lot through and then and one other part of that is that uh, is to exegete our culture We're, where we've really decluttered um, our, um, our trellis Our trellis is pretty simple We live in a busy busy culture here in Windsor like right? Fort Collins are lovely right that uh, there's uh, people's lives are crazy busy with sports and school and all of that and the last thing we want to do is give them something good to do every night. So our trellis has two pillars. It's our, it's our community groups, and it's our Sunday gathering. And um, and we, we try to do, uh, in our community groups in particular, is it's not just enough to have a plan to have community groups and get people there. Uh, if you get 90% of your church in community groups or life groups or uh, gospel community, whatever you call them, that's not necessarily victory. Um, are people um, following Jesus? Are they living on mission? Um, are they... Um, rejoicing with one another. Are they grieving with one another? So, so we 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 can talk more about this as we go along. But we're we're, um, we're very much in process. Uh, but I feel like the questions that we've been asking we're starting to answer. And that is that that at the end of the day, um, how do we make this transferable? Um, and then also, how do we how do we be intentional with our um, our small group leaders and actually training them on an ongoing basis? Oh. That was way more than. a so, sorry.
0: That was good. Jason, let me ask you a question and maybe specifically drill into that because I think one of the things we've recognized at Mountain View is that word discipleship can be taken a lot of different ways. And so, um, in many people's perspective, like discipleship is helping, as I think Dave said earlier, like helping Christians become better Christians. And so, we kind of felt the need to be able to shake up that paradigm a little bit and talk about the full spectrum of what Jesus made when he said, Hey, go make disciples because it's not just taking those who are believers and helping them to be better believers. Can you explain that a little bit, Jason, and why you feel it's been necessary to separate, not separate, but actually develop a a proper perspective of what making disciples is versus what oftentimes in Christianity gets called discipleship?
4: Sure. Um, This really started, I don't know, nine years ago, eight years ago through student ministries, trying to think through. It's great that we have families that bring their church kids to the church, and they want us to help them grow as followers of Jesus, assuming that they are so. But what about all the lost high school students in the schools that aren't going to show up on a Sunday? Disciple-making means somehow reaching those people. They're not going to show up to church on Sunday. So if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, we have to go to where those who aren't disciples exist. And so we sort of created this color scheme, red zone, orange zone, green zone. Green is all the activities you would imagine that Christians do to become better Christians, right? What's typically discipleship. But disciples of Jesus will exist in the harvest, Reaching those who don't know Christ. So, if you're a worker in our student ministries, you go, What does it look like to be in student ministries? I'd say, Well, here's exactly what it looks like. There's three things, okay? You're going to be given three or four kids that you're going to pour into, kids that know Jesus, helping them grow. But you're also every week going to spend time with those kids in the school, building relationships with their friends. That's what we call red zone, right? It's just, you're going into the environment where kids don't know Christ, going to games, taking pizza, having lunch, meeting these kids' friends. For the sake of helping these kids invite their friends into what we call Orange Zone activities, a wilderness backpacking trip, our weekly youth group meeting is not a church service for youth. It's an event where Christians and non-Christians every week are going to crash together together. So we're going to make it the most fun place to be for high school students. They're going to smash bananas into their faces, and they're going to play games. They're also every week going to hear the proclamation of the gospel so that as these kids do that, they're exposed to the gospel, come to faith in Christ, we can then help them grow, and we can also help them reach their friends. So it's like making sure that everybody is in that full spectrum of making disciples. So that works great in student ministries. We haven't really figured out how to make that work for the rest of the church, right? So... Take small groups, for example. Uh, Most adults don't like to play relay races that involve smashing bananas through pantyhose pulled over their heads. Oh, come on. Um, It wouldn't work for my life group. Um, So we talk about what we call uh, just, like, neighboring. Like, for every person exists in a neighborhood, you live somewhere. That's probably your most immediate mission field of lost people. So in your neighborhood, whether it's a dorm as a college student or an apartment complex you live in or a neighborhood you live in, Who are your neighbors? Do you even know their names? Well, if you don't, there's a starting place. And now that you know those neighbors, how are you intentionally building relationship with those people for the sake of just being who you are in Christ alongside them and in their world serving neighbors? So for us, the way it's looked like in our neighborhood has primarily been through Sarah's investment in moms with little kids. Uh, So in the summertime for five years, every Tuesday, she'd open up our backyard and invite any mom in the neighborhood that little kids for just come and play, come and hang out. Uh, There was no agenda but just to bring people together. But through doing that week after week and then over the years, we'd build relationships through those moms with the families. Um, We ended up connecting with a lot of people that weren't currently church but had church backgrounds. And now that they had kids, were interested in that whole thing. Oh, you're a pastor or you're a... People would come into our body who I think probably didn't know Jesus but who had church backgrounds similar to me. Um, But through those connections, there was one couple in our neighborhood in particular uh, Ryan and Sarah, they, they're living together, unmarried, um, had their first child together, and their wool gets flipped upside down. And they used to walk past our house and just see that it's chaos. We have four kids. We, but I guess now that they have a kid, they're like, hey, maybe those people that have four kids can help. you know? So she sees Sarah in the front yard one day, wheels her stroller over, and just starts pouring her heart out to Sarah. And just by loving on this couple over the course of about a three-month period of time through... Inviting them to church through just spending time with them, through connecting them with other relationships that we have in the body of Christ. Both of these people came to faith in Christ. um, And we were able to see them plug into the body and get baptized just because of our relationship there and because we're challenged to think that way. I wish I had a current story, you know, like, oh, this just happened last month. You know, this was six years ago. Um, But we try, we try, we try to connect. That's just a mission field for us. And we want, as a church, create a culture that, like, We're not just being in community, but we're in community and we're on mission together. So one of the ways we try to do this in our small groups is to start with mission to define community, right? Like I think you said that yesterday. Like if you start with mission, you'll always end up with community, right? I went to the Czech Republic with, with my family and five people I didn't know from Adam last year, and we fell in love with each other because we went on mission together. But if you start with community, you won't always end up with mission, You'll always just stay together in community. So we currently have one small group that is geographic. And when I say geographic, I don't just mean rough location in the city. I mean, like, we've defined a neighborhood. And you can't come and be a part of this small group unless you live in this neighborhood. Because in this neighborhood, we want to have so much overlap with the way we do life that we're just being around and reaching out to lost people. And that's where we have our community. Um, And there's been some cool things that have happened. But even in our community... It was four families that lived in this tight geography. Two of them have flown the coop to buy their first houses. or That's just the, the way that we live. So this idea that sounds really good uh, is just always getting jacked up by life and reality. <laughs> um, and so I don't know that we're doing that well, but that's our attempt at trying to help every person define a mission field. And if you're really going to be making disciples, you need to know lost people and be intentional in community about how you're trying to reach those lost people. So
0: Sounds good. Mark, let me ask you a question as for the high plains of Colorado, and I think we have got to be so careful in like stereotyping what that looks like. Um, you know, call it like rural churches. I mean, it's so much more than whatever that comes to mind. You are you're serving a huge geographic region, filled with a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds. I mean, you do have people from agriculture that are just really hardworking, long hours. You get people that are traveling into Fort Collins. You got people that are living out there because they want to be out there, not in the city, and so. As we think about making disciples and maybe focusing in on the, how are you practically equipping your body to, to start that disciple-making making process back in the harvest, what does that look like for High Plains to try to encourage and push um, the people in the High Plains of Colorado towards being on mission um, with their lost friends and neighbors and coworkers?
1: Yeah, there's a new term, um, and I don't think it was, I don't know, Dave, maybe you can, wherever Dave went, um, you've heard the term non non metro. Instead of saying rural church plan, saying non metro. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if mm-hmm. it came from the church planning movement or it came out of the Census Bureau or the USDA or somebody. But that's a little sexual. <clears throat> no, Dan, it's not like metrosexual. Not <laughs> 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 um, But I think that's a term that probably better represents. At least for now, High Plains Harvest, um, because we do basically have four towns, cities, whatever you want to call them, depending on population. Um, but you know we have just as many people living outside of city limits as we do uh, living inside of city limits. Um, you're right. We have people um, everything from living in a condemned uh, 1960s uh, you know RV trailer um, to people who live in 1.2 million dollar you know homes and suburbs. You know and everything in between. Um, You know, going back to, so our small groups typically have been geographic with some overlap. Um, We've tried, and I think one of the reasons why the engine has sputtered here lately is because we have people cross, leaving their town or their area to go to the small group that, you know, oh, it's the pastor's small group, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drive 20 minutes to go that way. Um, And they're not in their community, in their neighborhood, um, reaching, their neighbors. We pray for their neighbors. We, you know, bring they bring up prayer requests, and we talk about their neighbors and things like that. But um, I'm starting to see more and more that that value of not defining necessarily boundaries, but really casting that the the vision that your mission field is when you walk out your front door. Um, even at our church, we for uh, almost a year or so. Here we've had a sign we have only two doors in our church front door and back door and there's a sign on each door and it says you are now entering the mission field and just trying to drive that that as soon as you step out of these four walls of this church you are stepping on to the mission field and to be honest in our culture out here or out there I should say um, a lot of people don't they just want to go to they just want to be churchgoers you know mm-hmm. and there's we've had a bit of a revolving door at the church because folks don't want to become part of a missional community and uh, maybe they steer away from the small group because you know there is actual outreach going on and care and and service and you know and things like that so um yeah it's a you know as Tom Harkis said uh, several years ago we're a prototype church Uh, those are his words you know we're we're learning as we go and the only thing we can do is rely on 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 Christ his mission and what does that look like tomorrow Mm um and just but going back to I think to be honest, I think at times we've had great plans, and there's other times where our plans have been pretty, pretty thin or absent,
0: and I think that's rose Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Cool. I think proximity for all of us is a big deal to figure out because of busy lives, and it just seems like there's like this model of you know you just you passing all these different connections that you have in your life as you drive across a town or drive across the country, and you know very often those 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 paths don't cross, and we just 10 running around. So, trying to figure out proximity. And, you know, Aaron, one of the things I've appreciated about you over the years and about the crossing is this is continual pushing in philosophy of we got to make disciples, we got to make disciples. And you've just done a really good job of keeping that in the forefront. How have you helped encourage people in the crossing to engage, whether proximity, whether it be a sphere of influence, um, where people are kind of thinking through, like, how do I? Who do I reach out to, and how have you helped people to kind of embrace where God has them? Are there things that you've done to help people see, like, all right, here, here's, a, here's a great opportunity in front of you. Here's a great mission field in front of you.
2: Um, I think what, what our body does, and in particular, you know, throughout the years, we're seven years old. We had a good core group. We all rallied around the mission. I'll be talking about this in, the, in our breakout session. But we all rallied around the mission with the love God and make disciples from day one. And that was it. I mean, we were nine of us in our living room Well, when we started. Seven of them were my own family. So we had to get after it. Right. And so um, it was like make disciples or die, you know. And and so from the very beginning, it was a very simple and clear vision was to go out and, and make disciples. And um, people caught on to that. And one thing I would I encourage our, our people all the time and our leadership does is that what you know, I'll tell, the, I'll tell our people that they have more influence over the kingdom of God than I do. Because you can bring a coworker on a Sunday and hear me teach for 40 minutes. But when you take the gospel, and we use a phrase, you take the gospel where you live, work, and play. And we want our people to see it through that, those grids. And you understand that your identity is a disciple. It's not what you do. So in other words, you, you don't make disciples and then you become a disciple maker. You're a disciple who makes disciples. The question is, are you a good disciple or a bad disciple? And so, once we start to, I think, encourage people to say, hey, wherever you go, wherever you live, work, and play, and we can define those, but you're on mission. Those people, you're going to have more influence on those people than Mm -hmm. I do because you're with them five days a week for 40 hours or whatever the work's good with. And so, um, but then you maybe have that initial. interaction with a co-worker because maybe your gifting is like a gatherer and then you bring them into or introduce them to we have several different we call it gather scatter model gather matter uh, model is our kind of official event sunday life groups so then we have scatter models where we go out and you know we play poker with guys we go on the ice hockey rink we you know ladies do what ladies do and in the everyday life <laughs> right? just everyday life you live life and you take the gospel there so one story the um uh this young lady works at a bank and uh, this this lady came up with her uh, child. She was a young lady about twenty five, with a kid. And she tried to cash a check. Well, Leslie knew that this girl didn't know left from right, and she didn't have the proper identification or anything. So she just said, "Hey, is everything okay?" And just had an initial conversation because she stepped out beyond being a teller. Say, "I'm a disciple. This girl's hurting. I need to extend Christ mm-hmm. to her." And through that, we found out the night before. You know, she's been in and out of hotels, tried to kill herself. The little guy, so we, she, she called us, we took her into our home, and, and a little kid, Caden, um, and that was a year and a half ago. We still have Caden, um, and, and been training him up. And then through that, we've had two other families um, go through the adoption process with, um, you know, adopting some kids. One was a family, one there was two boys, one was a young kid, um, and then there's an older brother named a seven-year-old. And all of a sudden, over this last year, through one conversation of someone extending grace to someone, the whole DHS is like, "What is going on at the cross?" You guys are like all stars because most of the time, what they hear is people say, "With, with a kid, it's like, well, God told me not—you know—we're not, you know, not going to adopt this kid." And, and I get that, but what they saw, what they saw, is just people reaching out to love Christ yeah. and influencing the culture. And through that, a number of great conversations have come about, etc., But the whole point is when you ask me how do we teach that is we we teach our people that wherever you live, work and play, you are a disciple first and foremost, and your mission is to build the kingdom. Yeah. And so you do that where people come in contact and then you bring your mind and just let the spirit work and and, and run. So um so that's just a story and there's there's many others, but in the beginning we did this thing called Quarterbrook was a great discipleship ministry that we did for four years and but then it cost everyone $500. And we're like, well, tradition costs everyone $500 to make a disciple. So we came up with some training called Pathway of Discipleship, POD. It was eight categories with 16 questions. In my mind, it's awesome. But in other people, it wasn't reproducible. So we're actually tweaking it. Hmm. And we've come up with um, some other, other principles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Just real quick, let me just tell you what there are. Three questions. What are you learning from Scripture, the Word, the Sermon? Um, what do you need to obey what the lord's teaching you yeah. and the third thing is who do you need to share it with who do you need to share it with um, and then the fourth thing is
0: review. you said three bro yeah well i know you're it's pulling a dave on, a, on us a, you're pulling a dave a review,
2: with a review that's good that's good and the i will statements has also been huge and we can talk about that at, cool. at, uh, at another time but when you ask people to write down something I will, one of the things that we do is we ask a couple of questions, you know, what do you want to change? Have categories. They pick out two or three things. We focus on those categories for the next two months. Say, okay, write specific statements on how you want to change and then we follow up. Yeah. And it's not, well, maybe, or I hope to. It's, I will. Because it brings yeah. more of a weight
0: in that it. Yeah. Yeah, it's also it's great to be able to make those statements and even take your statements about obedience through the, the gospel lens that if you're newer, you know, to this movement, I mean, the, the gospel lens is really important because that's what empowers obedience. Um, it's going to, y'all cost us if we're going to make disciples, like what Aaron's saying, that that means you got to roll up the sleeves and get into people's lives. It's a lot more comfortable to come to a church and smile and listen to someone and go on off in your life and, and do your own thing. Um, and then come back the next week. And so we're trying to press into people, um, Every person, every single person is part of the church is to be a disciple maker, um, is challenging. And so, I think we're starting to ask the questions. And, and Dave, your 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 thoughts have been really helpful. I think for this dialogue, for all of us, I continue the dialogue, encourage the dialogue to continue. Um, the problem is giving pastors a microphone. This has gone. They're just yeah. It's you guys like yeah. It's good. So appreciate your thoughts. Um, I can say that honestly. The um, there's no there's no methodology that any one church or that we've embraced as Crossway Chapel. You start talking about different things that different churches are doing. And so what Aaron just talked about, I think, is great. Drill into Aaron. Have him send you those questions. Um, you know, at Mountain View, we try to put together some foundations packet of stuff that, that has, like, how would you walk through a new believer um, curriculum. But it, it, it's, it's there on the website. And there's, um, like, videos you can do stuff with. I know, um, Dan, at, at, here at, at Winter, um, you've developed some stuff for like that small group, those three or four people together. And so some great resources there about how do you, as people are meeting together, like how are they asking the right questions and really getting into each other's lives in a gospel-centered way um, rather than a, a beach over the head kind of way. Um, and so there's those resources um, that are there and um, you know, ask these men questions throughout the course of this weekend and and let's learn from each other. But I think we'll go ahead and stop this time for now. Um, we're going to go ahead and transition to our breakout groups. i guess going stay up here for a moment because I'll maybe have you guys talk. If you guys want to pull out your, your, I keep having a hard time figuring out what to call this, a booklet. If you want to say bullets in here. In the middle of it, if you open to in the middle, is the breakout sessions. Um, there's a little bit of changes, so you guys all really make sure you pay attention to this because I think it's pretty important as to making sure you get to the right places. Stephen, I think there's a, a slide up there that has a morning session. If you want to click over to that, that would be Awesome. Um, Dave DeVries is going to be meeting in here during this next session starting in five minutes. And Dave's gonna help you to figure out like how do you exegete your, your culture? How do you understand the environment that you're in, the city that you're in, the community that you're in, and how do you really begin to understand like how do I begin to enter into people's lives based on proximity? That'd be a good way to do it. And so very practical um, session. I've done this with Dave before. It just really helps us open up your eyes in a lot of ways to, man, God's surrounded me with all these relationships. I don't have to go looking for them. They're here. So let's take advantage of where God has us so we can start making disciples right where God has you. Um, Dave's only going to be doing a morning session. So there's two different breakout sessions. There's going to be some repeating ones and some that aren't repeated. So Dave's, if you want to go to Dave's, it's only going to be in this morning one. There's going to be one this afternoon that's only going to be in the afternoon that's going to be in here, um, which is moderated by Rita Santini. And this is what we talked about last night, just for the ladies to be able to come and learn from other ladies who are laboring hard um, and to be able to ask. So it'll be very interactive and a lot of chance for you to ask questions. You know, if you're thinking about like, man, what does it look like to be married to a church planner? or What does it look like to be part of a team? That'll be a really, really good um, place for you to land this afternoon. Um, Dan Hardy is going to do the Purpose, Priority, and Pain of Small Group Multiplication, and that's going to be up in the K-1st through classroom, which is upstairs. Is that correct, Dan? Anybody from Windsor community? So upstairs, you'll be able to find a a note up there. You know, one of the things that we're going to talk about this afternoon is we we have to prioritize if we're going to make disciples, and as people are coming and gathering together, multiplication at all levels is part of that. And so multiplying small groups or regroups or life groups or whatever you call them is essential, but you know as well as I do if you've been in that situation— that's hard. You love people and it's pain that's associated with that. And so if you've been through that recently about multiplying a group like that, th- that's difficult. So we're just going to dive into that, that that topic. And how does mission drive beyond the pain of saying goodbye to really close people um, in those contexts as opposed to being a holy huddle? So Dan's going to be leading that both sessions. Um, we're also going to um, only for this morning, so this is a change right here. Is Mark Hotelling is going to be doing one only this morning about tr- planning churches in smaller communities. Guys, this is a huge strategic investment to think about all the non-metro. I just learned a new word: um, opportunities for church planning throughout um, the United States. And so Mark again has learned so much, and uh, so I, I really want to encourage you to think through that. I think there's incredible opportunities there only for the morning. Not in the afternoon. So if you're interested in Mark's, you gotta go this morning. Um, the other one is Matt's going to do only this morning because he's back there wasting away. He's sick and his whole family's sick and he's gonna stick it out for one more thing. Just don't get close to him and please stay away from anything that I own because I'll be freaked out all day for the germs. So, um, but uh, Matt's gonna do something about letting vision guide you through the different phases of a church plant. And so one of the things that you plant a church is everybody has a, everybody has a vision for your church plant. Everybody has an idea of what it should look like. And so how do you let your principles and values drive you and how do you create alignment and unity with that? And Matt's done a tremendous job with it at redemption. And that's why I think so many reasons why redemption's so healthy is they know who they are, they're guarding who they are, and they're pushing that forward. That's really, really important. If you're a church planner who's just gonna go by the winds of waves of everybody what they want of you, you're gonna be the most miserable person in the world. Um, and so you got to have some things that, that, that govern that. So that's going to be um, only this morning. And then only this afternoon, I'll talk about this one, is Aaron Santini um, has done this in the past at Catalyst. Fantastic. I've been to it. Uh, 10 things I learned as a church planner. Is that a good definition of it? Um, and so just kind of Aaron being Aaron and speaking from his heart about the things that he learned over the years uh, of planning a church. And, um, and I think it'll be awesome. So that's only going to be in the afternoon. Okay. So you got some of that stuff in your mind. So um, we're going to take about five minutes. Uh, we will start at 10.45. After those are over, so those of you who are leading the sessions, make sure you're done in an hour. We're going to have about an hour and 15 minutes for lunch. We'll be eating lunch in here. We got all kinds of different options for non-gluten and everything else, so we we'll are just be eating in here. And we're just going to take kind of an extended lunchtime. What I would encourage you to consider, it'd be good to get out. We have an afternoon left. Sitting around all day is never good for the body. Grab a couple people and maybe possibly go for a 15-minute prayer walk. Um, you know, just try to begin to process through prayer what God is doing. And I think God works pretty significantly during those times. So five minutes we will start our sessions. Uh, lunch will start at a quarter till 12. We will start our afternoon session right at 1 o'clock. Right at 1 o'clock. So all that is agenda should be in your bulletins. Okay? Enjoy your sessions. God made coffee for a reason, for things like this. It did. It's a gift.